Hello and welcome to the Allen and Overy podcast. Today we're going to look at how traditional businesses are responding to the challenges of digital transformation and the demands placed on in-house and private practice lawyers in this environment. My name is Rose Hall and I head up business development for our technology group. Joining me today is Tom Levine, a London-based partner and the co-head of our TMT group. Tom works with clients on a wide range of digital transformation projects. Tom, the phrase digital transformation might mean different things to different people. Can I ask you to start by explaining what you mean when you talk about digital transformation or digitalization? Hi, Rose. Yes. So this is about traditional businesses being disrupted by tech businesses. It's not about the tech businesses themselves. And this is happening all over the world. It's about US tech businesses disrupting European and Asian companies, Asian companies disrupting US and European companies. And the traditional sectors are across all of business transportation, retail finance, healthcare, utilities, telecoms, even law firms are being disrupted by technology. Now, until recently, this was a matter for the digital strategy team of a large corporation, but no longer. It's now an issue for the C-suite and the board, and of course also for the equity analysts and therefore for the share price. And I should stress, this is not about a new discipline called digital disruption law from the lawyer's point of view. This is about new problems which require new solutions, but using old law. So if you are doing an initial coin offering, you need to think about securities law. If you're storing personal data on the blockchain, you need to think about the problems of the immutability of the blockchain and what that means for a data subject's right to rectification of inaccuracies in their personal information. This is existing data privacy law, but it's a new problem presented by technology. So Tom, there must be a number of models for bringing innovation into the business. What are they? Well, traditionally, there are three. You can build your transformational business, you can buy a startup, or you can collaborate with a tech business. And for the traditional company, each of these has its challenges. If you're trying to build it, that's probably the most challenging because you don't really have the DNA in a traditional business to be able to build an agile organization. And of course, the road is littered with many thankfully forgotten attempts by traditional businesses to build their disruptive technology arms. Buying a startup has its challenges as well because these are agile organizations and when they come within the warm and smothering embrace of the large organization, they can lose that innovation. They can lose their most agile and innovative people. And there are a number of models which have come up trying to preserve that kind of innovative spirit, the garages, the pool tables, all of that sort of stuff, keeping the people in a separate business, giving them different incentive programs. Of course, that's important and so forth. Those aren't always successful either. Often the founders leave or there's a lot of turnover uh, or, or control gets brought back into HQ. So there are challenges in doing that as well. And collaboration is, is, is challenging because you need to be quite clear what you want out of your collaboration with the tech firm. And probably more importantly, what you don't want and what you don't need. And the lesson here is not to be greedy. So when you are a traditional business trying to work out how to monetize data, because we know these businesses are all about data, you have to be realistic about the fact that if you try to have an exclusive right of use of all of the data that gets generated out of this collaboration, or you try to 
own all of the intellectual property that comes out of it. Well, no tech business is going to want to do business with you. So you need to be realistic about what that is. Probably most importantly, you need a really clear mandate from senior management about what you're trying to do and what you're not trying to do. And that will set the rules for how you frame your relationship with whoever it is you're collaborating with or how you hold the tech startup that you've bought at arm's length. And what are the organizational challenges for a traditional business trying to transform itself digitally? Well, with any large traditional business, how to be agile is the most difficult part of it. We have a client that refers to this as institutional drag. Recognizing that when you try to bring innovative ideas into a large organization, it quickly gets smothered with governance, lines of escalation, reporting lines, traditional policies, and so forth. Trying to work out not only how to enable it, but also to prevent those people who have a really big stake in the business as usual from throwing complexity in the way of this innovation from intentionally or unintentionally making it difficult for the innovative business to thrive. That's a real challenge within a traditional business. Thanks, Tom. So getting down into the detail, what are some of the key points of law that often need to be considered during digital transformation projects? Well, obviously the biggest difference between a traditional business and a tech business, or the the tech startups, is that tech startups operate globally. So they sort of operate from nowhere. And so jurisdictionally, do they operate from where their headquarters are? Do they operate from where their servers are? And so on. A traditional business operates from where it set itself up, where its customers are, where its headquarters is, where its physical assets are. And they don't really have the luxury of being able to define themselves according to the jurisdictional convenience of what works for them. And so trying to design around, design your organizational structure in a way that allows you the flexibility of what the tech companies have is a really important early factor. Because if you don't do that, if you create your tech activities mirroring your traditional activities, you'll find that they are subject to jurisdictional regulatory burdens that those who are seeking to disrupt your business don't have to bear. So for example, you might have a data business that is seeking to exploit analyze and monetize the data of the customers of your traditional business. From a a data privacy point of view, that might mean that you are subject to the data privacy regimes of all of the different countries globally that you operate in. And the burden of complying with any one of those, let alone all of them, is going to be significantly greater than a tech company that effectively operates in the ether. So setting up the new business in a way that is separate from the traditional business and mimics that kind of jurisdictional neutrality that your tech disruptor has is a huge advantage. So when you're setting up this kind of structure, a structure for a digital business, who else do you need to keep in mind? Well, you'll certainly in your traditional business have regulators who will be looking closely at the way you set up a business jurisdictionally and they will be interested to know whether you are trying to avoid their jurisdiction in doing so. So you need to come with a good story, a good narrative to the regulators, not just about why the disruptors are doing this, so why can't we? It's much more about giving them comfort that they're not going to have policy issues that come out of this. And let's remember, for a lot of the traditional regulators, whether those are healthcare regulators, financial services regulators, regulators of law firms, this is new for them too. 
So you're trying to give them something which shows that you are complying with their policy objectives, that you're not trying to simply operate from outside of their jurisdiction and not having to pay heed to their regulatory objectives. But it's not just the regulators. Of course, these are data businesses, and we all know that data is about monetizing that data, making use of it to generate profits, differentiate, create better customer care, and so forth. And so being able to partner with others in the use of your data and reassure them by demonstrating that the architecture of the way your new business is set up is compliant is essential to make yourself attractive to do business with, attractive to other partners who want to make sure that whoever they do business with rubs off on them in the correct way. It strikes me that another characteristic of doing deals in a digital environment is that things are often moving very quickly and indeed that the parties that the business might be working with may be quite different to traditional providers they are used to working with. How does this change or challenge the role of the lawyers on the deal? Possibly the best way to illustrate this is by a story from one of our clients who works by enabling tech collaborations, who said that her heart sinks every time she sees a tech startup being referred to the innovation or worse, the procurement department of a large corporate. You have to understand if you are a large corporate that tech businesses work much faster than you do. And if you're going to send them to your procurement department because you don't have another way of engaging with a tech business, it's not going to go very far. Those who have been referred to the procurement department will just walk out the door and not come back. And those who don't know better will get bogged down in procurement forms, forms that really don't respond to what tech businesses do. So from the lawyer's point of view, it's really important that you look at the form of document with which you intend to engage with the tech business and work out why you need all those business protections in there. Why are they essential? Why do they have to be written like that? Does it really need to be that complicated? As the lawyer, you need to make sure that your business is set up and senior management has bought into the idea of contracting with people in a yesable way, in a way that can do business quickly so that you can reduce the time to being able to do business with somebody from months to weeks or even days. So we've looked at scoping the project, models for bringing innovation into the business, and we've considered the critical area of regulation and compliance. Very briefly, what are other things to look out for when you're working on digital transformation programs? As the in-house lawyer, your job is to design the governance framework that ensures that the assets of the business and its compliance are right from the outset. And you design the governance model and you write it. But of course, a well-written internal governance framework is only as valuable as its enforcement. You only need to ask anyone who has had to plead leniency before a regulator and can't demonstrate how compliance with a framework was part of the culture of the organization. So the in-house lawyer's job is not only to write the governance framework, but to ensure that senior management backs it so that they can say to those who would choose to ignore it that they choose to go against the wishes of the top of the house. And it's not just about regulatory compliance. It's also about ensuring frameworks for assets. Take intellectual property, for example. Making sure that when the business colleagues that you have want to collaborate with a tech business, they understand who is supposed to own the intellectual property output of that collaboration. Or the right to use data that they understand 
what it is that your organization wants out of that data. And there are rules that they follow to ensure that when they are collaborating, they have set down who has what rights to use what data. And what's important here from the point of view of the lawyer is that if you haven't got that right from the outset, trying to get it right later, trying to put the intellectual property back where your organization would have wanted it at the outset if it had thought about it or had enforced the governance of it is going to be expensive. Similarly with rights to use data, it may not just be a compliance problem, but convincing your business partner that they should stop using the data that you allowed them to use is going to be disruptive to what their business model was. And nobody's going to thank you as the internal lawyer if you forgot to do that. But you also need to think about who the stakeholders are from a governance point of view. So they could be internal or external. Internal in the kinds of examples I was just talking about, intellectual property and so forth. But they could be external. They could be regulators. So we were talking before about going to the regulators and demonstrating why from the outset your governance framework meets their policy objectives. But they could also be consumers or data subjects. If you deal in an area where consumer trust has grown out of the way your business is regulated, you can't just move fast and break things and assume that consumers won't care if you don't pay any heed to regulation or you don't pay any heed to what they find creepy about the way you repurpose their personal data. If you haven't got a good story for those consumers at the outset about why you're using their data, then trying to backpedal and encourage them to understand why it's okay and they shouldn't be concerned about this is going to be much harder. As the lawyer, you can make your traditional business far more successful if you've thought about this in advance and if you've made sure that the senior management team buys into compliance with it. Tom, thank you very much for your insights. 